0: Ireland, like the rest of the world, is in COVID lockdowns and all sorts of things going on with coronavirus. People are dying from the vaccines. We're going to speak to someone on the ground. Investigative journalist Gemma Doherty is with us. You're going to want to stay tuned. Gemma, welcome to the program.
1: Great to be with you, John Henry. Thank you for having me.
0: Let's begin, as you always do, with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So, like the rest of the world, uh, Ireland has been in lockdown for over a year and a half now. Things have been bad, both in the church and in society. They're forcing the vaccines on everyone. Tell us what's going on on the ground.
1: Well, we've had a very difficult year and a half, John Henry. It's been relentless, really. And I suppose Ireland, you know, being on the western edge of Europe has... Well, we've seen our country change utterly, you know, a lovely green island where everyone knew each other, profoundly Catholic nation. It, it was probably the most Catholic country in the world, even though I know other countries might like to have that title. But I, I think because of our fight over 800 years to to battle for the soul of Catholicism in Ireland, I think um we realize now what we've lost and what was given to us by our faith and the long, hard um centuries of martyrdom that our ancestors fought uh, to retain the Catholic faith here. And, you know, we have just thrown it all away. And really, the Irish people, I, I don't like to be cruel, but they are getting by throwing God out of the picture, they are getting everything they deserve. And I keep saying to myself, we've got to go through this this phase of punishment because it's the only thing that's going to bring people back to God. I feel as hard as it is for our people. So, you know, yes, we we haven't really had a very hard lockdown in the last few months. They've had us on release over the summer. Uh, The summer has been difficult, very difficult weather. We haven't really had any, any decent sunshine apart from maybe one week. And we see now the children are preparing to go back to school and a gun is being put to the heads of parents. They're starting to go down this road. A lot of parents are very, very anxious about what's going to happen come September. Are their children going to be forced to take this? We've had an awful lot of compliance because they've been working so hard on the Irish people for the last three decades, relentlessly, the mainstream media telling them that the past was a terrible place. The Catholic Church ruled them with an iron rod, which was not true. They fabricated a lot of stories in order to bring in abortion in a profoundly pro-life country, the most pro-life country in Europe, bar Malta, probably, and Portugal, um And they told the, the Irish people lies about what their country used to be like. And now the Irish have, have given away everything that was great about our country.
0: I just spoke to a priest, Father Brendan, from there, who's uh, very popular on YouTube and was telling me similarly about the church, about lockdowns, about all this stuff. But in terms of COVID, in terms of vaccines, uh, what are you seeing on the ground? I mean, we've got reports from all over the world. Uh, you know, in the United States, the VAERS report is indicating over 11,000 deaths already from the vaccine. Have you seen any of that in Ireland? Do you have some kind of reporting system like VAERS?
1: We do, yes. Well, it's again, it is very, very haphazard because nobody is being told about it, except perhaps on my channel and a few others. But it, it's called the HPRA, the Health Products Regulatory Authority, and they have admitted that about seventy people here have died. Now, you know we've a population of approximately five million here, so um, that is quite high. But I imagine it's multiples of that, and thousands of of injuries. I mean, the thing about Ireland is that it because the population is so small of Irish people. We, you know, generally know each other and we, you know, it's sort of two or three degrees of separation. We're like one big family. So we're able to find out about somebody quite quickly. And, oh, that's Johnny's second cousin or whatever from, you know, the next county. So anecdotally, I am hearing so many so many reports, and I was just talking to a wonderful teenager that we met during the summer. We we got a trailer out on this, the roads of of Ireland to tell the truth about the the, the COVID hoax deception, and uh, that was one of the tactics we deployed to try and waken up the Irish people. And one day when we were out with this big trailer and putting up, you know, ninety nine point nine percent recovery rate, etc. This young teenager, he's 17, he approached us. He couldn't believe that he had seen the trailer and he was just coming home from school. And um, he was telling us that he was the only boy in his school that was awake to the agenda. And what a nightmare it was in school. There were several hundred of them in in the school. But I was talking to him today and he had told me at the time that his parents were awake to the agenda that they got it. They were not going to get the vaccine. But he was talking to me today and he told me both of them got it. And his mother has been rushed to hospital today, four days after she got it. A young woman, I'd say she's only in her 40s. And this is, I mean, I'm so devastated for him because You know, he's so worried about his future and it is these children, these are the ones that I mean, my heart is broken for the the children of of not only my country, but our world, how traumatized they have been in the last year by all of this fear, fear, fear. And those that realize what's going on and see their parents getting sick and their grandparents dying, it's it's you know, nothing has happened In this world like this before, really, it's such a global agenda.
0: It's one of the things that that parents need to wake up to. The fact that our children, especially young children, have lived their lives under COVID in a way. So I have a son who's nine and, you know, starting to remember back before COVID becomes difficult for little ones. Because they've lived their lives, a good portion of their lives under lockdowns, where masses are either closed and forbidden, or they're done in their cars, or if they're done inside, you have to wear a mask. And, you know, if you're receiving Holy Communion on the tongue properly, oh, you have to wait till after Mass is finished to do that. You're a second-class citizen already. It's unreal. And yet this is becoming what at least our young children will remember as normal life. We've, I think adults need to take into the, uh, that into account. It's just absolutely horrifying. Um, you've done a lot of courageous work. You've spoken out, uh, but yet you've faced some real backlash. In fact, uh, as I heard, you were threatened with arrest. Can you tell us what happened?
1: Yes. Well, I mean, I I actually was arrested last year. I have a long background in investigative journalism focusing on police corruption. And and sadly, we have a profoundly corrupt police force in Ireland. It it gives me uh, no joy to say this, but I've spent a lot of time exposing murders and child sexual abuse that have been covered up by the police in this state and um so you know they're always on their guard when i'm around because it it usually means that i'm i'm exposing them in some way but last summer we were doing a a campaign of using banners because we knew that the forced vaccination agenda was coming so we had um banners on some of the bridges no forced vaccines that was last actually a year ago and um One day we were doing this and I was doing a stream. I had about a thousand people watching. And next thing, these three police came onto the bridge and started to cut down our banners. So I went up and I was streaming and I was saying, look at these, you know, thugs. Look at what they're doing. This is disgraceful because it's perfectly legal what we were doing. You know, it was absolutely lawful. And um, before I knew it, I had a set of handcuffs on me. And I was being taken away in a police car. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I—I I, now, as it happened, it was sort of the local mafia within the the, the local police force that had done it—a man with a terrible track record. But I was thrown into a cell for three hours, and I will say that I never felt closer to God in that period. I, you know, because I've done a lot of stories through the years on miscarriages of justice and people who have been wrongly jailed. And it gave me such an insight to suddenly lose my freedom to be uh, thrown into handcuffs, thrown into a cell and to be in the hands of of complete maniacs for that period. So that case is I haven't even had a a court appearance. I mean, there's been court appearances, but my my lawyer has gone. But uh, I that's going to come up at the end of September. Three charges three charges of public order (laughs) and uh, refusing to give name and address, which I actually did because they had handcuffed my hand so severely and they uh, damaged my shoulder in the way. There was three of three of them. (laughs) So uh, I did give in and give my they knew exactly who I was anyway. Um, And but then they came up with another charge of obstruction. So which I didn't do. I was like I was filming the whole time. And, you know, as soon as I saw that he was really out of control, I walked away and he came from behind and grabbed me. Um, So that's the okay. that's what they call obstruction. But so that has been dragging on. And I think they hoped that that would stop me from my anti lockdown work. But obviously it didn't. But we had a scenario a few weeks ago where a group of healthcare workers from the biggest neurological acute hospital in Dublin in the country came to me. And they said that they had been under severe pressure since January to take the vaccine. And that the management of the hospital had been saying extraordinary things to them, which they had recorded secretly because they knew that they were lying and they were saying things like astrazeneca is going to save the world the vaccines are very safe they were not providing informed consent on any level um so they came to me and i told their story and i stood outside the hospital a few times doing streams i didn't identify them at that stage um, but we did a few anonymous streams. But I, I you know, did, did some reports from the hospital in which I said, what's going on in this hospital is, is you know, it's, it's effectively a death camp. And um, before I knew it, there was a court case a few days later in which the hospital had gone into court to try and get an injunction against me from telling this story. So I had to appear in court the following week. And they were taking a defamation action, which is usually heard in front of a jury. Um, But in this matter, they tried to actually just get the judge to gag me before it could go before a jury. So I went into court the following week. The complainants did not turn up. The CEO of the hospital, the head of nursing, neither of them turned up. They just filed affidavits. Uh, I could see that the judge did not want to know. I told the judge that I had recordings of these people stating things about the vaccine that were not true, coercing staff, telling staff that they would have to go home if they did not get the vaccine telling staff who had had allergic reactions to drugs in the past, who had had a stroke, for example, in one case, that it was fine for them to get the vaccine and they really needed to get the vaccine. I mean, this was endangerment of life, reckless endangerment. But the judge, he didn't want to know. So he ruled against me. But I I decided on principle that I was not going to take down my reports because they were truthful and the judge called me a liar, effectively in court. Our judiciary is, is rotten, rotten, rotten. So, um, I then got a letter from the hospital to say that they were going to seek a committal order to have me jailed if I mm. refused to take down. So the videos. So I did pray hard, and I th- what what will I do? Because if I am jailed, they'll do the PCR. They'll probably leave me in there, you know, and I I really didn't want that. But then I think there was some sort of, I'm not going to claim divine intervention, but my website was then taken down and I don't know how they managed to do that because I I probably have the biggest conservative website in Ireland uh, in terms of views on that. And I had it securely um, hosted in America where I thought it was safe, but no, So the whole thing was taken down, everything gone, my email, everything for nearly a week. And um, we managed to get it up and we had to leave the United States. But as a result of that, the videos all basically were taken down. So they backed off. Um, But I've put some of them back up now and I continue to report on that.
0: Uh, You are uh, willing to sacrifice yourself uh, for the truth. And I think that's what makes you so dangerous to the powers that be. And I think we need more journalists um, who are willing to do that. The thing with journalism today is that it is mostly bought and paid for. And I hate to say that, but it's, you know, what, like medicine today, was once a noble profession, uh, has now become just, you know, part of the uh, either big government platform or else bought and sold and paid for by big pharma or or whatever else. So um, I, I can see that them, them thinking that you might be dangerous. Um, so, well, praise God for what you've done and uh, for your courage, and which which obviously comes from your faith. I mean, you, you that that shines forth very clearly.
1: We were all sent to a Dominican convent, and me and my siblings and. I really put it down to just having that ethos of, you know, our, our school jumper had the, the motto veritas on it. And every day when you pull that on, I mean, I'm not we were far from perfect, but we knew that the nuns who educated us were good women. And they they taught us values that have stood to a lot of us, I think, throughout our lives. And we were probably the last generation who really got that good classical Catholic education um, where it was about right and wrong, we were constantly debating issues, you know, around think not so much abortion because that really hadn't come in, but you know, maybe euthanasia and and protecting life, and um, we were allowed to debate in those days, and that's all gone now. Children are not allowed to think critically; they're not allowed to think; they're told what to think, and you know our church gets such a bashing all the time as you know but it it really i can see no better way to you know to to create a culture than from catholicism and i think people are realizing that
0: yeah now what's going on around ireland with regard to george soros because i hear there's there's uh activity going on uh that soros is controlling or or, or doing in ireland what's Tell us what's happening.
1: George Soros has been, you know, he's been funding a lot of the NGOs over here. Amnesty, for example, got a big chunk of money in advance of the abortion referendum. Um, I believe that he is a major shareholder in a big Chinese company called Wuxi Pharmaceuticals, who've just opened a huge plant here on the northeast coast of Ireland. And I was up there actually a few days ago, and it is terrifying. I think they make vaccines there. There was an allegation that it was the firm where the so-called virus had been released from. But I don't know how true that is. It's a Wuhan-based company called Wuxi, and Soros is supposed to be involved. But we have, of course, the Clintons here are very, very, very influential. They have... A lot of connections and have homes here where they come and stay and if they're still alive. But yeah, there's a a lot of a lot of connections. So he's certainly been the financial drive behind a number of referenda that we have had in recent years, which have utterly turned our culture upside down. Gay marriage. No such thing, obviously. Um, abortion and we had a children's rights referendum a few years ago, which basically took uh, the rights of children out of the hands of the family and their parents and put them into the hands of the state. Many people didn't realise that at the time. They thought this was about giving children rights. But of course, children, you know, the the, the family was always a very strong thing in Ireland. The Irish family is, is known around the world And certainly in America, you know, for being a strong unit and loyal and typically Catholic Um, and our constitution, which I have here, is very clear in that it is a Catholic constitution and the preamble states. And I, I might just read it to you if you're aware of this about our constitution, but it begins in the name of the most holy trinity from whom is all authority and to whom as our final end all actions both of men and states must be referred we the people of era ireland humbly acknowledging all of our obligations to our divine lord jesus christ who sustained our fathers through centuries of trial gratefully remembering their heroic and unremitting struggle to regain the rightful independence of our nation, and seeking to promote the common good with due observance of prudence, justice and charity so that the dignity and freedom of the individual may be assured, true social order attained, the unity of our country restored and concord established with other nations do hereby adopt, enact and give to ourselves this constitution. So given that it is based on the Holy Trinity it's it's fundamentally Catholic and I, I think our history is often rewritten as being a, a battle between the Irish and the English. It wasn't that. It was a battle between our Catholic faith and the Book of Common Prayer that we were not going to adopt Protestantism because we believe in the, the true presence of Jesus in the Eucharist and During our famine in in the 1840s, we had our own Holocaust in Ireland um, where at least a million people died as a result of their refusal to take the soup. And that meant to renounce their Catholic faith and adopt Protestantism under Henry VIII, Cromwell, etc. We now are seeing a new form of that with the vaccine, that people who take the vaccine are effectively taking the soup. And the soup was the food that was being offered by our colonizers in return for renouncing our Catholic faith. And, you know, we, we see we see what we have lost. And we were once known as the land of saints and scholars. And our country gave so much, given its small size. But it, it was basically one large monastic settlement where the Bible was preserved by the monks who lived out on little islands in the Atlantic and and lived for Christ. And, you know, up until very recent generations, you know, my parents' generation, they were profoundly holy people. They were profoundly spiritual. So I I, God must look down on this island and feel desperately, you know, I think our punishment is going to be severe
0: it's an incredible thing, as I was tel- telling Father Brendan to to even imagine what's happening when uh, both in, in Portugal and Ireland, you had these promises from heaven that there would be faith left, that, you know, St. <laughs> Patrick on the rock forever and ever, and uh, Our Lady of Fatima to the three children. Um, and yet, in both countries, this devastation around same-sex marriage, around abortion, that seemed impossible uh, to those who had paid attention, um, and it really does bring back what Our Lady said, you know, there will still be faith uh, in, in Portugal, for instance. What does that even mean once they've gone uh, for abortion? And so very, very, uh, um, well, it's alarming. But one thing is true, sure and true, there will always be faith. And uh, I want to thank you for standing up for faith, because it's uh, it's an amazing thing in the midst of such uh, loss of faith and and scary threats to still stand for it and still love it. And what you read from the Constitution was just so beautiful. I would be so proud uh, to be Irish were that my Constitution.
1: We're so proud of North America, and we've learned so much. I mean, North America, Canada, the United States, Christians there have been at the forefront of this. And they have helped us here in Ireland to remind us you know that our faith is all that matters so the renaissance is happening i think in in north america this time rather than the old country and that that's that's the way it should be i think i think that's appropriate we're learning from you guys what we've given away
0: thank you so much for being with us on this episode of the john henry weston show where can people go and find Gemma doherty and uh, all that you offer
1: Well, my website is Gemma O. We're very proud of the O. During the the colonial times, people were encouraged to give up the O, which was, it means like daughter or son of. In order to find my site, you'll have to go through an awful lot of far-right conspiracy theorists, neo-Nazi, whatever else I called. So a lot of fake news there, but it goes with the territory, doesn't it? You're used to it.
0: It does indeed. And it'll be listed in my blog. Gemma, thank you for joining us on the episode of the show. May God bless you.
1: Thank you for all the great work you do on LifeSite News. It's it's phenomenal.
0: And God bless all of you. We'll see you next time. Hi, this is John Henry Weston, the co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News. I'm coming to you today because we want to be sure that we are communicating clearly with you, our loyal followers. Things are really heating up, as I'm sure you can see. Christians, conservative truth-tellers are being targeted, are being banned from social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at an alarmingly fast rate. They are attempting to suppress any narrative that does not fit that of the mainstream media. We knew this day would come. We have been warning everyone who would listen and attempting to build up alternative platforms to continue to reach you. We have established ourselves on all sorts of platforms I'm going to explain in a minute, but the most important thing to do is come direct to LifeSiteNews.com, because there we will always be. But we've also established ourselves on platforms like Parler and MeWe, and our videos can be found on Rumble as well. We would love to see each of you on those platforms, too, as they are not censoring or suppressing the truth that we are sharing every single day. More than these alternative social media platforms, we highly encourage you to subscribe to our email newsletter. We have really built up a large list of loyal readers on our email marketing platform. And we have prepared several backup plans for, well, I want to say if, but it's really when, We are removed from our current platform as well. Additionally, I really encourage you, as I said before, to make it a regular habit to go directly to LifeSiteNews.com. Make it your homepage. While all of these different platforms are an excellent way to curate your news, going directly to our website means that you will never encounter any censorship or sudden loss of LifeSite News reporting. Here's the thing. We will never stop sharing the truth. We founded this organization with the mission to be the life, family, and culture source for men and women who seek to know the truth. We have established a track record of honest reports, and this will never stop, even with censorship happening around the globe. Again, I'm encouraging you to join us on Parlor, MeWe, Rumble, and on our email list. You can find all the direct links in the description of this video. May God bless you and keep you. And we are so thankful that you've chosen to follow and support LifeSight News. I'm John Henry Weston, co founder and editor in chief of LifeSight News.